Welcome to CC Partners, the employer's choice. We provide expert legal and strategic advice in all areas of labor and employment law. By working closely with our clients, our experienced team delivers pragmatic, proactive solutions, resolving many issues before they escalate. Get to know us better at ccpartners.ca. We're going to go through a few uh, different general topics. We're going to talk about the open period generally, what it is. Then we'll be discussing union rates and employee decertifications, the two main features of the open period. We will talk about an employer's role during the open period. We'll be going over some do's and don'ts. You'll see don'ts is bolded and underlined for employers during the open period. Because while this is a period for employees to exercise their rights, uh, the employer's conduct becomes scrutinized in just about every case. Finally, we'll keep some time at the end of the presentation to uh, look at some of your questions and, and hopefully provide you some additional general information you may, you may be looking for about the open period. On that note, I'm going to hand it off to Brandon to get us started. Thanks, Mike. So I'll start by giving a, a brief overview of what the open period is before uh, Mike and Jay take you uh, more into the weeds. Uh, the construction industry open period occurs in the final two months of the collective agreement. Most agreements in the construction industry are synchronized, meaning that for most employers, uh, the open period occurs at the same time every three years for two months. During this period, unionized employees in the construction industry can apply to the Ontario Labor Relations Board to decertify their current bargaining agents and end the application of the collective agreement through what is called a termination application. Rival unions can also apply to the board to raid the current union's representation rights through what is called a displacement application. While the decision to decertify or raid lies with the employees or the alternate trade union, respectively, it's still important for employers to be aware of their rights and responsibilities in this period. So we're going to go over that a little bit. First of all, it's important to know when this open period occurs. As I said, the in the construction industry, most agreements are synchronized to expire every three years. And the two month period before the expiry of the collective agreement is the open period. This year, that is March 1st to April 30th. For those of you looking at your calendars, you'll notice that that is tomorrow. Um, therefore, employers' workplaces, employers who, whose workplaces may be subject to decertification or raid, um, may see some indicators as early as tomorrow. So I'll uh, first talk about what a uh, union raid is. Danielle, if you don't mind going to the next slide for us. Um, there are two ways to oust a union during the open period, as I've alluded to. The first is a, a union raid through what we call a displacement application. Employers cannot commence a union raid. Uh, the decision of whether to conduct a raid and file a displacement application lies solely with a construction trade union. In this, what a union will do is uh, they'll have representatives that will seek to get union membership cards signed by the employees. If the evidence filed in, in a displacement application demonstrates that 40% or more of the employees support rating the bargaining rights of the incumbent union, 
the labor board will order a vote and the employees will cast a secret ballot. Employees in this will indicate which trade union they support. Um, the, during this period, employers should be aware that the incumbent union, if they suspect a raid may occur, uh, they may have more representatives on site to service its members and, and to prevent a raid ultimately. The second way to oust a union during the open period is a decertification through what is called the termination application. So this is where employees apply to the labor to the labor board to terminate the union's bargaining rights. Uh, again, employers cannot commence a decertification, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to commence an application because it's it's has a broad definition. The decision to decertify must be made by employees, uh, and the employees must file the application without any assistance from an employer. Employees will seek just like in a raid where the union was seeking signatures from employees. Uh, in a decertification, the employees will seek signatures from other employees for the application. Employees must be employed in the trade of the bargaining unit in question on the date of the application for their signature to be valid. Uh, if 40% or more of the employees who are at work in the bargaining unit on the application filing date appear to have expressed a wish to not be represented by the union anymore, then a representation vote will be held, and this is usually about five to eight days after the termination application is delivered to the union and the employer. Again, um, similar to a raid, if the incumbent union suspects that they may be subject to a decertification, they may have more representatives on site to service its members and try to prevent a decertification from happening. So now I will hand it off for some information on on-site activity during the open period. Yeah, before we do that, Brandon, one um, I think really interesting thing that you just said was that uh, it, they have to have the support of 40% of the people working in the trade on the application date. Uh, what do you, can you maybe talk about what you mean by uh, working in the trade on the application date? Sure. Working in the trade will mean anyone who is subject to the collective agreement and that so if if the employer has a number of people working um, they can't all just sign if they're not uh, part of the trade that is subject to the collective agreement um, and if it's in the in construction industry, industry specifically it gets kind of complicated because you can have a number of people working who might not be employed by the employer or they might not be um, subject to that collective agreement. So they have to be in that trade um, to, to have their signature count towards a, a decertification or displacement application. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. That's helpful. Uh, I think the key takeaway on that point is that, um, you know, the employees have to be working within the bargaining rights of the union. So if the union has rights to represent, uh, you know, construction laborers, um, people who are working as plumbers or electricians uh, won't count toward a 40% a uh, uh, calculation of whether there was sufficient uh, employee support to um, trigger a, a vote. Um, so, so thanks for that. And just two uh, other points to add to that, maybe Mike, just so people get the full flavor, the, the Labor Board uses a majority of the day test. So uh, they're looking at 
uh, whether the person spent the majority of their day working uh, within the trade, within the scope of the bargaining unit. Also, you know, if you're not bound to one of the provincial agreements, you may, uh, depending on the sector that you operate in or what bargaining rights unit union has acquired, may have geographical considerations as to whether someone was working within the bargaining unit on the application date or not. Uh, for instance, you're only bound in Board Area 8 to a residential agreement, which is uh, the Greater Toronto Area, and the work is being performed, uh, let's say, out in Cambridge or Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, those employees are likely outside of the scope, working outside of the scope of the collective agreement and would not be eligible to be part of that 40% uh, on the application date. Yep, very helpful. Thank you, Jay. So as Brandon alluded to, uh, what, what we will also expect to see during the open period is uh, perhaps an increase or uh, change in, in on-site activity. So we want to run through a couple of things for uh, employers to be aware of so you're not caught off guard if you do see this. Um, in a, it would be common if employees are contemplating a termination of bargaining rights to see them uh, increasing their on-site communications and maybe having some additional meetings on your site. Um, keep in mind, in order to file an application to terminate bargaining rights, the employees need to show evidence of 40% support for the application in order to trigger the vote. Typically, this is done by circulating a petition or individual statements of support uh, in support of the application. So an employee, one or more employees, they need to organize this. That means they need to communicate with their coworkers in the bargaining unit. Uh, oftentimes, the easiest way for them to do that is during the working hours. Uh, employers will need to, you know, as you'll see, we get into a little bit on the next slide. Think about what they're really comfortable with because, sorry, we're not going to the next slide yet, Danielle, but we'll talk about it a bit on the next slide. Um, we'll need to to kind of assess what they're comfortable with in terms of productivity during working hours on the one hand and employees uh, having the opportunity to organize themselves and assert their rights on the other hands. <clears throat> Similarly, if there is a, a possibility of an alternate union seeking to displace an incumbent union, you may see the same kind of employee activity uh, certainly employees discussing their options and, and how they want to assert their rights. And it, it is not uncommon for the uh, rating union to have a key person uh, in the workforce who may be um, you know, communicating with their peers and, and trying to rally support. As opposed to a decertification, you're, more, you're much more likely to see uh, union representatives trying to speak with your workers, possibly on site, but more likely kind of at the gate, maybe handing out swag, maybe handing out literature. And in either case, the incumbent union, who will have some rights to access their employees, are likely to increase their presence on their site, <clears throat> increase their presence on the site, keeping their members happy. Note that an incumbent union under a collective agreement does have uh, rights to access their members to uh, service them, but um, surely they will take that opportunity to make their case for why 
the employees ought to stay with them during the open period. And as I said, I think a key for most employers is what are you comfortable with? Note that the Labor Relations Act says in it, there is no right for a person to be persuading workers to support a union uh, during work time. So it, there's a bit of a balancing act between um, supporting or allowing employees to exercise their rights on the one hand, but on the other hand, maintaining productivity and certainly safety. That applies to both workers and union representatives. Um, you know, obviously you don't want disruption on the work. Obviously, if you have visitors to the site, you want to maintain health and safety and PPE requirements. And I think a good piece of advice is however you want to administer and enforce your rules, be consistent. Because what you don't want is to give the appearance that you're favoring one party over another, which could be considered or at least be alleged to be initiating an application or otherwise engaging in an unfair labor practice for making threats or intimidating workers or coercing them. So uh, consistency is a, a good piece of general advice. So Brandon explained how applications in the open period are definitely um, under the <clears throat> under the rights of the employees. Uh, and so that means an employer cannot initiate an application. The Labor Board gives initiate a very broad definition. And cases of employer initiation have included things like, obviously, <clears throat> instructing employees how to make an application, instructing them to make an application, but also maybe more uh, secondary conduct, like hiring the employees a lawyer to represent them. It can also include things like hiring an employee, knowing that or instructing them to make the application. It can include allowing preferred union access to your employees. It can include allowing your employees to use their office equipment even to research a decertification or to file their application materials with the labor board. So again, we have to be very careful as employers in how we conduct ourselves during the open period. But the employer's role is substantive too. Um, in, in a raid situation or a decertification, the employer has a role in providing information and documents to the labor board. Um, now in a raid, um, the, the employer is a respondent to the application, like in a normal uh, certification application, and the incumbent union is entitled to intervene. In a decertification, the incumbent union is the respondent, and the employer has an opportunity to intervene. So as I said, in a decertification, the employer files a response. Uh, again, a very tight timeline of two business days to do so. And in an inter sorry, and in a decertification, the employer has the right to intervene again by filing an intervention within two business days. 
the really the point in making a response or an intervention is to preserve your rights to make representations and arguments about who was in the bargaining unit on the application date. It's important to keep in mind that the applicant, be it the union in a raid or the employees in a termination application, they pick the date and the labor board takes a snapshot approach. The voting contingency will be the workers who are working in the bargaining unit on the application date. And those will be the people who are entitled to have their vote. Uh, the vote is normally five business days after the application is delivered to the employer. And the normal practice is that all potentially affected employees are able to vote. And then the parties may have certain disputes over the eligibility uh, of workers to vote, uh, which we will get to uh shortly but uh want to talk about next how to file your response or intervention and in either case whether you're filing a response to a displacement application or an intervention and a termination application you have to file you have to complete deliver and file <clears throat> the appropriate Ontario Labor Relations Board forms. Uh, these are standard forms that have to be completed in a particular way. They have to be completed properly. They have to include information about what work was happening on which sites within the bargaining unit. And they also have to include a list of employees in the bargaining unit on the application date. You have to be able to indicate in your response or in your intervention where each worker worked and what they were doing. And this is how we get prepared for the status disputes, which is where the heavy litigation typically happens in the open period. And the status disputes are when the parties challenge the eligibility of a certain worker to be able to work. And we challenge their status as an employee in the bargaining unit on the application date. The employer's responsibility then, uh, and, and frankly, regardless of whether the employer chooses to file a response or an intervention, is going to be to provide all existing information so that the parties to the application can litigate it can, and can litigate the status disputes. It's highly, highly recommended that for each day of work during the open period, and if possible, for the one month prior, an employer be able to provide all information and all documents that show who was working for them under any given uh, collective agreement throughout the province of Ontario. This is going to include things like the geographic scope, um, the, the addresses at the sites where work was being performed under a collective agreement, which trade was performing the work. And of course, who was on the site, what they were doing. And it's important to be able to give a very detailed account. What were their work assignments? What tools and equipment were they using? How much time did they spend working on each task? As Jay said before, 
the labor board takes a majority of the day approach to determine whether somebody was working in the bargaining unit on the application date. It's really important to know who was supervising because as these statuses get litigated, we need to have people who can speak firsthand to what was happening on a site on a given date. So get information and it's important to also get where you can get witness statements from the people on site, <clears throat> your, your, your four persons, your supervisors, your superintendents, and then gather the documents. You should be able to gather things like timesheets, pay records, daily task lists, supervisor logbooks, invoices for work, documents that really illustrate what was happening on a particular day in the bargaining unit. The Labor Relations Board will undergo a case review, and so they require a more detailed account from the parties than they normally would. And based on the information we're able to provide, they will start to undertake an assessment of whether a certain employee was at work in the bargaining unit on the application date. And the workers who are in dispute will be identified during the vote. Uh, the parties are each entitled to have one representative who will be made aware, because the votes are typically being done electronically this year, who will be made aware of who is casting a ballot. And there are a number of reasons why a worker may have their right to vote challenged. Uh, the common is that the employee was not working that day. Or if they were working, they were not working in the bargaining unit. They were in the wrong geographic area. They were in the wrong trade. They were doing the wrong type of work on the application date. Other common reasons to challenge a voter, uh, they could be alleged to be a management employee who is not in the bargaining unit, not entitled to vote. Someone who was employed by a subcontractor as opposed to the uh, employer subject to the certificate or someone was terminated before the application date and tries to vote. I've certainly seen that happen. Where a voter is challenged, the Labor Relations Board field officer will segregate the ballot and only after litigation, it will either be destroyed if the disputed employee is not in the bargaining unit or it will be counted if they are in the bargaining unit. Here's an old adage that a an ounce of uh, an ounce of preparation is worth a pound of prevention. Nope, nope, that's not it. But it's something along those lines. The key is let's be proactive and be prepared. The more information you can provide up front, <clears throat> the better to support your position of who ought to be able to cast their ballot in the representation vote. And the better prepared you will be to respond to any allegations from a union that you as the employer have initiated the application or engaged in an unfair labor practice. So these are some of the tips we give during the open period. Ask your site supervisors or representatives to take and keep 
detailed daily notes, or even make take photographs of what is happening on a work site on a given day. Keep your timesheets on hand, keep your pay records up to date in all written communications about attendance and work ought to remain organized and ready to be filed with the labor board. And on that note, for some additional do's and don'ts, I'm going to turn it over to my partner, Jay Ryder. That's great. Thanks, Mike. And uh, it's uh, important for people uh, to understand and have a little bit of information about the rules of the road when it comes to termination and displacement applications. Uh, as I believe Mike previously mentioned, certainly in a uh, termination application or a decertification, the union incumbent will routinely challenge uh, the application on the basis that it was employer initiated. And if you haven't followed the rules of the road, uh, despite the wishes of your employees, uh, if you've been found to have been involved in the initiation or unduly influential in the displacement application, it could be uh, dismissed or thrown out despite uh, a vote of the employees in favor of decertification. It's also true of raids and it goes uh, both ways in raids. Sometimes employers are found to have unduly favored their incumbent union or sometimes they're found to have uh, invited in uh, a raiding union because they were dissatisfied with their incumbent union. So these rules of the road, the do's and don'ts apply generally across the board, although probably typically more at play in uh, termination uh, decertification applications. So we've already stressed the importance of keeping the, the records and I won't uh, belabor that point, but uh, certainly any termination or layoff that occurs during the open period is going to be carefully scrutinized if there is any uh, activity uh, going on either by way of a raid or a termination application. So it's, it's very important to stick to your normal business practices, only uh, terminate or lay off employees in, in the ordinary course of business uh, and be prepared to document your decision and to justify it uh, if challenged. If you uh, lay off a number of employees, for instance, who are uh, supporters of the incumbent union because you want to create conditions for uh, a rating union to come in and uh, and displace the incumbent union, uh, that would be offside the Labor Relations Act. Uh, likewise, hiring has to be carefully done uh, during the open period as well uh, for a couple of reasons. If you were found to have brought in a guy or guys uh, to foment a decertification application or a, a raid by uh, displacing union, uh, that would be considered employer initiation or involvement uh, to the point where the application would be tossed by the labor board. Um, it's also important on the hiring front to be careful about who you're hiring during the open period uh, if you're worried about a raid. And if you're satisfied with your incumbent union and there's a rival union uh, that may be uh, poking around, you want to be extra careful about who you're hiring and so that they're not sending uh, someone in to try and uh, organize a displacement application. And then, of course, the uh, other uh, important piece during the open period is 
managing your numbers who are on site on any given day. Uh, as uh, Brandon noted, it employees at work in the bargaining unit on the application date uh, to bring about a successful displacement application. If you uh, are happy with your incumbent union and you're worried about a displacement and you, for instance, uh, have a Saturday with only two guys at work and those two guys happen to be supporters of the rival union and uh, have signed cards, uh, then they would be the only two eligible employees if the Saturday were the application date and uh, presumably they're in favor of displacement and you've now even though the you may have 20 other employees who are perfectly content with the collective agreement you've got and the union you've got uh, you're now dealing with an, a, a, a displacement uh, just to back there one slide Danielle uh, a little piece on communication with the employees uh, you need to be extra careful during the open period about what uh, you're communicating because of this concern of employee initiation, but you can certainly provide your employees with, 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 with facts as they pertain to uh, the displacement or termination of unions. So for instance, if there's a raid going on and one of your employees were to say to you, well, the rep from so-and-so union came and talked to me and told me, I said, sign this piece of paper for more information on that union. Uh, you're entitled to ask the employee what that piece of paper looked like and tell the employee that, uh, well, actually, if that's a membership card, you're not just signing for information, you're signing to evidence you're in support of that union. So you uh, wanna make sure uh, you're not signing something that you haven't carefully read. You can also, it, it, it's pretty, Typical that in a termination application situation or a potential termination application situation that you may get an employee uh, coming to you and saying, you know, I, I really haven't uh, enjoyed this union experience. I hear there's this open period. How do I how do I terminate the union's bargaining rights? Well, you have to be very careful when that occurs, but you can certainly direct uh, the employee to the internet. You can also there's a very good. Uh, website that has a lot of resources on uh, union terminations, which is called Labor Watch, spelled the Canadian way with a U, laborwatch.com. And you can probably even say to the employee, I don't think I can get involved in that, uh, but here's the number for my lawyer. If I get a phone call from an employee who says, my employer gave me your number, I want to get rid of my union, I'm not going to give that employee advice. Obviously, I represent the company, I represent management, but I know other lawyers who do employee representation. And I would say to that employee, uh, maybe you want to give this guy a call and get more information. So that's a, those are a couple of things you can communicate with your employees. But again, you got to be very, very careful during the open period. Uh, next. Be cognizant of union tactics and avoid any discussions with union reps about the open period. So even if you've got a very good relationship with your union rep from your incumbent union. Uh, you need to be very careful about the conversations you have if there's a potential for a raid, because that kind of support of your rep could be construed as undue influence or employer initiation. And understand that any conversation you have with your rep, uh, if there are subsequent 
labor board proceedings and employer initiation is alleged uh, and either or both the rep or yourself wind up having to give evidence at the Ontario Labor Relations Board, uh, you could be required to disclose the contents of those conversations. So uh, be very careful. Submit your response in a timely manner. Mike's mentioned that uh, if you don't, you're out of luck in terms of having any say in how the application is disposed of. And then a, a shameless plug, uh, get legal advice early. Now some don'ts. Now, it, we say feel compelled to allow rating unions access to employees on the work site or during working hours, and they're not entitled to speak either union, frankly, an incumbent or displacement or the employees themselves if they're seeking to decertify uh, are to be talking about union business or uh, decertification or raid uh, during their working hours. It's fair game when they're on break, lunch, before or after work, but not during their working hours. That's section 77 of the Labor Relations Act. You wanna be sure that in a raid situation to be treating both unions equally with respect to that um, and to uh, not allow uh, any more contact than is necessary with the rating union. Now they may still have access to sites. So for instance, if your general contractor that you're working for has agreements with let's say the laborers and the carpenters laborers are your incumbent, the carpenters are seeking to raid, the carpenters may have access to your site through the general contractor and their collective agreement. So uh, you may not be able to prevent access, but uh, you can certainly monitor uh, and enforce no communication from either side during business hours. As well, occasionally you'll get an employee uh, coming up to you and saying that they feel like they're being harassed either by uh, a representative of a union that's attempting to conduct a raid, or if the union has become aware that you've got a dissident group of employees who are thinking about a termination application, and the union will put the, the hard court press on them not to uh, displace or to terminate the union's bargaining rights. If you get that kind of a complaint from your employee, you're certainly entitled to uh, give them the number for the labor board and tell them they can contact the labor board. And in cases of severe harassment, it doesn't occur very often, but if they felt like they were being severely harassed, followed home, et cetera, what have you, uh, they do have the option to make a complaint with the local constabulary as well. We've, you don't wanna deviate from your standard practices in terms of meetings, breaks, and access to property and supplies. Again, this is just about treating everything in a business as usual setting. And that's the, that's the frame to get in your head during the open period is I'm just gonna conduct business as usual. I'm gonna be vigilant. I'm gonna follow all the tips that Mike has given you about tracking what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis and making sure your uh, things are buttoned down, but otherwise business as usual. And uh, encouraging employees, uh, to assert their rights in a particular way is a no-no. Uh, unlike a certification application, if you've been through it, where an employer has somewhat of a wider latitude to express uh, opinions and facts and take a position on union organization in a raid or a termination situation, the better 
phrases to think about your as an employer you're like switzerland you've got to remain remain neutral subject to again correcting uh untruths that are being spread uh falsehoods um correcting misleading propaganda and, and the like otherwise neutrality and then the final thing on the don'ts and it probably is self-evident to most people but you don't hire the lawyer for the employees and you don't pay for the lawyer for the employees if uh, they want to decertify and they need representation so this just really applies to termination applications but if they need representation uh, they need to acquire and pay for that on their own otherwise um, that would be the type of employer initiation that would cause a application for termination to be dismissed by the labor board so subject to any questions uh, i think that brings us to the end of our presentation and mike i know you've got couple of things to say, so I'll turn it over. Thanks for that, Jay. I think that's a really helpful uh, and concise overview of what employers should be prepared for and be, be expecting during the upcoming open period. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much activity we get over the next two months. Um, I'm expecting it might be an even more active than usual open period, given some of the uh, on-site activities we've seen so far, and certainly some uh, organizational challenges that uh, businesses have uh, encountered uh, recently. Um, so, you know, I think if there are any takeaways for employers bound to collective agreements in the construction industry right now um you know be prepared um it, it is vital that you have information and documents available to be able to respond to or intervene in an application and know what uh you know keep keep jay's do's and don'ts in mind um you know it it it's so easy for a union to allege improper employer support or initiation and it is literally as simple as checking a box on the response to a termination application uh, for a union to say yes i am accusing the employer of initiating this application um, so it, you have to be uh, extremely uh, diligent 